0: Psalm 19, to the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through through all the earth, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your creation that declares your glory, and we are thankful for your word, which is perfect and sure and right and pure. And Lord, we confess that we often don't desire your word like we should. We don't heed your warnings. And so Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word and by your spirit and that you would revive our hearts to desire your word more than anything. Show us our sins. Help us to be reminded of who we are but also remind us of your grace, which we see in the gospel of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, back in 1973, J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God, where he simply just goes through the attributes of God, and it has gone on to sell over a million copies. And if you don't have it, you've never heard of it, I highly recommend it. if if you're looking for the next book to read, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. But in that book, Packer makes this argument that it's possible to know about God and yet not truly know Him. It's possible to know about God, but not know Him. And in this beautiful psalm that we're looking at this morning, David writes about the God of the universe, who reveals himself, who wants to be known. He reveals himself broadly through his works, through his creation, and then he reveals himself specifically in his word. And when someone goes beyond the mere facts, from knowing about God to knowing him, mainly through his word, we are humbled, we're brought low. We see our need for mercy, And we see the God who extends mercy and who redeems. And so if you look at the text this morning, you can see that it breaks nicely into sections. We could break it into two parts. Verses 1 to 11 speak of God's revelation of himself. And verses 12 to 14 is David's response to that revelation. But this morning we're going to break it into three parts. So I have a three-part sermon, and I'm just going to let you know on the front end, it's a little heavy on the first point, so don't get very nervous. God reveals himself through his works. In verses 1 to 6, we're invited to look up to the skies. The creation speaks and declares the glory and work of God. The second section we'll look at is is verses 7 to 11. And we'll see that God reveals himself through his word. We're invited to look down at our Bibles. David describes the law as perfect, as sure, right, pure, true. And he also explains how the law revives us and causes our hearts to rejoice. And then the third section we see in verses 12 to 14. God's revelation leads to a response. We are invited to look down inward. So we look up, we look down at our Bibles, we look inward. David begs God to declare him innocent of his secret sins and to keep him from his presumptuous sins. He desires to be blameless and innocent, and he wants his words and meditation to be acceptable in God's sight, who is his rock and his redeemer. There is a lot in this psalm. So much beauty, so much profound insights, we're not going to be able to cover everything. But the main point, what I hope you see in God's word this morning is this, is that God's revelation shows his glory, his truth, and our need for mercy. God's revelation shows us his glory, his truth, and our need for mercy. All right, so let's look at the text. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The title here explains that this psalm was meant to be sung. It was a song that was composed by King David. C.S. Lewis called it the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. The people of Israel would have sung this psalm as they gathered for worship And in fact, it's very likely that Jesus himself, who grew up in a Jewish family, would have sung this song. Think about it. The very creator of the world singing about his creation, revealing his glory. The very word of God singing about the scriptures that all point to him. This is a song, a song of David. And in the first section of this psalm, verses 1 to 4, David reflects on how God reveals himself through his works. So take a look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Whoa. The heavens and the sky above, which were created by God in the beginning with words, David says they are now speakers on God's behalf. And they have a message for us all. As David was looking up to the sky, he recognized a vital truth that the heavens reveal God. The earth, the stars, the moon, the clouds, the weather, the sun are all proclaiming the glory of God They prove that there is a God, that he exists, that he has created, and God has placed a beautiful, giant, omninex screen in the sky for us that shouts that he is almighty, that he is powerful, that he has infinite wisdom and ability, and a couple weeks ago, Diane and Zoe and I took a vacation to one of our favorite states, the state of Wisconsin, And the place that we were staying overlooked this beautiful valley. And every night, the sunset was mind-blowingly glorious. Most nights we stood on the deck and we watched this beautiful round ball full of yellows and oranges disappear behind the distant hills. We tried to take pictures of it. You know as much as me. There's no way. The the pictures just don't do it justice. But we are just standing there, just looking at each other, looking at the same thing, going, wow, look at that. Why were we in awe? Why do we spend our time on our vacation outside staring at the sun? Because God designed it to be that. There aren't beautiful sunrises and sunsets and thunderstorms and cloudy skies and cloud formations and bright stars and planets and full moons and half moons and eclipses for no reason. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Abraham Lincoln once said, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist. But I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. God reveals himself through creation. Just like an amazing piece of art points beyond itself to something higher, something deeper, something more worthy, the one who created it. Theologians use the word general revelation to describe how God reveals himself this way. General revelation refers to the general truth that can be known about God through nature. It's general in its content, and it's general in its audience. God reveals his goodness, his power, and his wisdom to all people. In a way, David is saying here that the Heavens and the skies are preaching. And the theme of their sermon is God's glory. And in verses two through four, we get more details about this preaching of the skies. We see that they preach all day and all night without taking a break. Look at verse two. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is this continuous pouring out uninterrupted 24-hour message being broadcast to all who look up. Every day the sun, the clouds, and the blue sky testify of God, and every night the stars share knowledge of the one who numbers them all. Morning, afternoon, and evening services are held if you just go outside and look up. We also see that their message is universal. Look at verse three. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. We don't hear audible words coming from the sky. We don't hear a message with our ears, but we understand it with our eyes. And what's amazing about this is is the fact that it transcends the boundaries of language and culture. It doesn't matter if you speak Mandarin or Tamil or Spanish or Russian or English, the heavens speak a visible language that can be understood by all. It's a universal message. And then also they preach in every part of the world. Verse 4 Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Distance is not a barrier. To this message, The heavens and the earth are heard all around the globe. No matter if you're in China or Africa or even Antarctica, if you look up at the sky, God is revealing himself. And in order to illustrate this point even further, David focuses in on the sun in verses four through six. He says, In them he has sent a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Think about the sun. God has created the sun and put it in its place and David says three things about the sun here. He says it's like a bridegroom It's like a strong man, and nothing is hidden from its heat. When the sun comes out of the tent of darkness, it is full on radiant joy and excitement like a bridegroom. What's a bridegroom? Well, it's a a man who's about to be married to the love of his life. He doesn't come out like this. Okay, cool, let's do this. No, he's excited. He's full of joy. This is how the sun comes out of the tent of darkness. The sun is also like a strong man who runs his course with joy, like a runner who has prepared for the race. And now the race starts and he runs with joy. The sun runs its course from one end of the earth to the other. And is there anyone who doesn't see the light of the sun or at least feel its heat. Even if you're sitting in the shade from the sun, or sitting in the shade away from the sun, you can still feel its heat. Wherever the sun is seen or its heat is felt, the glory of God is being declared. No place is hidden from the revelation Of God. And so, if you are a believer, then my encouragement to you this morning is to look at the world that the Lord has created and take a second to think about what you see and give praise to our God, who is both the creator and sustainer of the universe. Praise Him for all that He has done and enjoy His creation. Enjoy it and glorify him. If you're not a believer, you're responsible for what the heavens have been showing you your whole life. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. this psalm, Psalm 19, in mind. God has revealed himself through his creation, and this leaves all people without excuse. The evidence is right there before your eyes that God exists. And so no one can complain that God has left insufficient evidence of his existence or character. The issue is with those who suppress or reject this evidence. And then there are some who mistakenly worship the creation rather than the creator. People say, oh, I go to the woods to go to church, or I go to the lake, or I go to the golf course. The problem with that is the fact that the message of the woods or the lake or the golf course is not enough. Their message is only about the existence of God, but we need more to truly know him. Even though the Lord reveals himself in part through his creation, this does not give us enough knowledge to truly know him and of his redeeming power. John Calvin, a French reformer, pastor, and theologian, wrote in his commentary on this psalm, The witness of the heavens does not lead men to truly fear God or to acquire a well-grounded knowledge of him. It only serves to render them inexcusable. So how are we to know God? How are we to know God? Well, we know God through his word. And that's what David writes about next. God reveals himself in part through his works, through creation. And in the next section, looking at verses 7 through 11, God reveals himself through his word. In the first six verses of Psalm 19, God's name is only mentioned once. In our English translation, we see in verse 1, it says, "...the heavens declare the glory of God." And the Hebrew word that's used there is just the general name for God. But in these verses, 7 through 11, David uses a different name, and he uses it six times. Do you see it? Instead of saying God, David uses the name the Lord. He says the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord. This word Lord in Hebrew is the word Yahweh. The name Yahweh refers to the covenant that God has made, the God of covenant, the one who saves and redeems his people. Yahweh, the one who saves. By shifting this name to Yahweh, David is saying that while the heavens and creation teach us that there's a glorious creator, the scriptures reveal to us God as redeemer. We can see the power of God by looking at the universe he created, but we can only know him personally through his written word. The doctrine associated with this is called special revelation. Special revelation is where God reveals himself to a specific audience through his word. It's special because it goes beyond that general revelation and testifies how a person may know this great God and how he or she can live in a manner that's pleasing to him. And in this special revelation, God reveals the way of salvation. Herman Bavink, one of the greatest theologians, wrote in his book, Reformed Dogmatics Special revelation is needed to address human beings in their need as sinners for the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. The scriptures expose our sinful nature. They help us see that our sins have separated us from God, and so they lead us to seek God and ask for forgiveness. Look what David writes in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul set of verses. I mean, if David had added any more verses, he would have run out of words from the thesaurus to describe the word of God. In these three verses, there are five references to God's word. Law, testimony, precepts, commandment, and rules. And when David uses the word law here, he's not only talking about the Ten Commandments, he's talking about all of God's instruction in his word. So we have five references to God's word. We have five characteristics to God's word perfection, trustworthiness, uprightness, purity, truth. And then four things that the word of God changes the soul, the simple the heart, and the eyes, and six things that the word of God does. It revives. It makes wise. It gives joy. It enlightens. It endures forever and brings about righteousness. While some people think that the Bible is boring and an out-of-date book, David seems to disagree. David says, In verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. God's word is perfect. It's sufficient. It doesn't have any contradictions. It's flawless. And because of that, it revives the soul. God uses his word in order to change us, to help us to see our sins and our need for forgiveness, to convert us, to give us life. It leads us to repentance. God's word revives. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In a world of so many uncertainties, God's word is sure, something that we can cling on to. After the word has converted us, it makes us wise so that we can live for God like we should It teaches us to obey. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Do you see the progression here? We have God's word reviving or changing us. God's word giving wisdom for living. And then it also gives us joy. The truth that makes the heart right gives joy to the heart that is right. Would you say that God's word gives you joy? Joy. Does God's word give you joy? David continues The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Without the word of God, we would be in the dark. Psalm 119, verse 105, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word enlightens our eyes, it helps us see to see our sin and to see God's grace and mercy. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. There's this little break in the poetry here. Instead of describing God's word, David is describing the effect that God's word has on us. Those who are made alive and made wise by God's word learn to fear him. The word of God brings us to a place where we are humbled before him. you know the God, the Bible, and you love him and you serve him, you do it with deep respect and awe and reverence. The fear of the Lord is clean. It cleanses out sin. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. There is no part in God's word that is lacking in truth or righteousness. And as David reflects on the word of God, he realizes that he has a treasure. A treasure above all earthly treasures. Look at what he says in verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Gold cannot revive the soul or give wisdom or enlighten the eyes like the Bible can. David realizes that he needs God's word more than the things that please his senses, like delicious food or expensive clothes or music. Because God has revealed Himself through His Word, David has a greater desire for the Bible more than anything else. Is that your experience? When you wake up in the morning, what do you desire? Do you go straight to your Bible? Or do you go straight to your phone? Do you desire the word of God more than a million dollar inheritance and all the things that you could buy with it? Think about that. Do you feel that way? Do you love and cherish the Bible? You see the treasure that we have right in front of us. This is God's word written to us, for us. And we, our generation, has greater accessibility to the Bible than anyone ever has. There are no excuses. And there are many who say that they believe God's word and think that it's trustworthy, which is great, but do we desire it? If we don't even read it, how are we to know God? You can listen to sermons all you like. You can listen to podcasts. You can read books about the Bible, and you can know about God. But God reveals Himself through His Word. You come to know God through the Scriptures. This is where you hear his voice. And if we're honest, a lot of times we would rather look at Facebook. We would rather read the news. We would rather watch a TV show than open our Bibles. This morning, God is reminding us of his excellent word that is pure, that is sure and true, where he reveals himself, where your soul will be revived, where you will gain the right type of wisdom, where your eyes will be enlightened and where you will experience true joy. David ends this section with verse 11. He says, moreover, By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. The Bible gives to us the highest joy in knowing God. It warns us against sin and its dangerous and harmful effects. It warns us against the lies and errors of our world. And then it promises rewards to those who obey. And so after David has reflected on how God has revealed himself through his works and through his word, he is now brought to a place where he has to respond. God's revelation leads to a response. David used a lot of vocabulary about the word of God, and now here in this section in verses 12 to 14, he uses a lot of vocabulary to talk about sin. You see those words there? Errors, hidden faults, presumptuous sins, great transgression. When someone searches through the scriptures, what does it produce? It produces a new person convinced of their frailty and sinfulness. When we read the word of God and submit our hearts, and our minds to it, it brings to surface our rebellion against God, our hidden and secret sins, our deliberate sins. God's word humbles us. And unless you are humbled, you will never be brought to the place of where you'll seek mercy from God to rely on his forgiveness and to seek protection from sin's grip over your life. The Bible convinces us of our sinfulness. And yet at the same time, it develops this deep, deep desire to please God. This deep desire to please the one who does redeem. In response to all that God has revealed, David writes in verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. None of us know all the sins that we have committed. Who can discern his errors? And the answer to that question is none. We often are able to see the sins of others, but we fail to see our own sins. These hidden sins could be sins that we do not remember or that we committed in ignorance Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know them? There are some sins that I see in myself, but there are far more that I don't see. And David prays to God that God would declare him innocent of these hidden faults. And then in verse 13, he writes, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. While there are hidden and unintentional sins that we commit, there are also presumptuous, willing sins, sins that we proudly commit with no concern of the consequences. And when our hidden faults aren't dealt with, we will be tempted to sin in greater ways. Presumptuous sins are dangerous because they can have a strong influence over us. Right? David says, keep, me, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. David prays that the Lord would declare him innocent and that God would keep him back from these sins He has to be blameless and innocent. David not only sees his sin, but as he's reflected on the word of God, as he's reflected in how God has revealed himself through his word, he knows who to go to with his sin. And what a beautiful ending to our psalm here this morning in verse 14. David writes that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight o oh lord my rock my redeemer here we have david asking for god to change the way that he speaks and to change the way that he thinks he prays that god would not only free him from his sins but that his speech and his thoughts would be pure and godly and edifying He ends the psalm with, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Again, he's referring to Yahweh, the God who saves. He calls Yahweh his rock and his redeemer. Yahweh is the one where all of David's hope resides. And this psalm points us to Jesus Christ who is the one on which the solid rock we stand, who is the redeemer who saves us from all our sins. God's glory is revealed in the sky. We have the word of God in the scriptures. We should obey God's word perfectly, but we don't. We can't. It's impossible for us to obey the word of God perfectly. And if that's the case, then how is it possible to be innocent? How is it possible to be blameless? How is it possible to be accepted in God's sight? Only through the redeeming work of God's only Son. When we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus, we put our trust in the one whose every word and every meditation is pleasing. Jesus was blameless and innocent of great transgression. He could go to God with complete confidence and say, I am innocent from hidden faults. He was the one who always did the will of his Father. The one who obeyed even to death. And because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, those who turn from their sin and trust in him can be declared innocent of their sins and justified by grace through faith. The scriptures enabled David to see God's glory in creation. And the truth of the scriptures also enabled David to see his need for mercy and forgiveness. And God's word still does that today. If you are here and you're not a Christian, remember you are responsible for what the heavens have been declaring your whole entire life. You are without excuse. And so I encourage you to seek God while he may be found. God's word tells us that we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and that we are in need of salvation. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be declared innocent, blameless, and acceptable before a holy God. Salvation comes by faith in Christ Alone Is he your rock and your redeemer? And to all who believe here, I hope that when you leave here today and you go outside and you look at creation, that you see much more than a rainy sky and humid weather, but that you see and hear the heavens declaring the glory of God that you notice that God is revealing himself constantly. And then I also pray that we all desire his word more. I pray that he would revive our souls, give us wisdom to live for him and bring us joy. May we treasure the word of God more than anything. We are sinners in need of God's grace Let us cling to our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer, Jesus Christ. God's revelation shows us his glory, his truth, and our need for mercy. Let's pray. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. We thank you for the glimpses of your glory that we see in your creation We are thankful for your word, which revives and gives us wisdom. But Lord, we confess that we often don't desire your word more than other things in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us to treasure your word. Lord, we also confess that we have sinned. We have sinned in ignorance, but Lord, we have also sinned knowingly. Often the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart are far from acceptable. And so we confess both our sin and our need for Jesus Christ. Help us through the reading of your word to live for you and obey what you have commanded. Thank you for revealing yourself to us and redeeming us from our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.